Hi, welcome to the Tulsa World Opinion video podcast. I'm Jenny Graham, editorials editor of the section. I'm Bobby Sitt, editorial writer, columnist, wannabe mountain biker. He's a mountain biker without the training wheels, which is good. So anyway, <laughs> we're going to jump right in. The biggest news of this week, which you wrote about for this Sunday, is mm -hmm. Trump's house being searched, not raided. There was a search warrant. Raid is something different. Um, and my first thought, and Stephen Colbert beat this to me last night because I was going to write about it, but everyone jumped to, we're going to go out, you know, they're mad at the FBI director. They're mad at the judge, both of which are Trump appointees, by the way. We're mad at the attorney general. I'm telling you who's behind it. The librarians. The librarian, he was ma he made the wrong group mad. It's the librarians. That's my theory. No one really knows anything about where this came from or what it is. But for months, years, he's been told by the Library of Congress, bring back our stuff. There are things and he hasn't done it. And he made the librarians mad. And you do not do that. They do not play these librarians. And so not. I think the librarians are the ones who are like, you know what? We told you to bring it back. You didn't bring it back. Now we're going to have to pull out the big guns. It's my theory. I don't know, man. Maybe uh, Library of Congress, angry librarians, they're part of the dark Brandon army or something. Who knows? <laughs> well, think about it. Library, and I'll tell you, this is out of my 30-year, nearly 30-year career. I've covered every manner of agency. Cops, courts, DHS social workers who, you know, go after child abusers. When I covered the Tulsa City County Library, and the librarians got angry at their executive director, they went full force. I mean, it was, you don't even know who the library director was when because they, they've erased the memory of this person. I mean, they came out um, and, and, I, and I wrote these stories on it because I'm telling you, they, they're very well read, first of all. So they know their rights. They know who's who. They know where to find information buried on people. I, if I were to guess who anonymous is, you know, the, the anonymous people who will dox you, it's the librarians. They know stuff and they know where to find it. And they will find the footnotes and the data and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Do not mess with librarians. Take your books back and pay the fines. Stay out of their way because they'll come after you. It's my theory. <laughs> It's a good theory. I will not mess with librarians. Well, especially at least not the ones from the Library of Congress, the National Archives, anyway. They said so they, they want their tough. stuff back. Go get, I'm telling you, those got to be the toughest librarians. Yeah, yeah, just, just don't do it. They'll find you. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was a fascinating piece of news. I kind of joked around with it on Monday. I was, you know, I go to the gym and 90 minutes later, I'm walking out of the gym and I get a notification that, oh, wow, the FBI is all over Mar-a-Lago taking records back. I thought that was kind of like, hey, Ferris Bueller line came up in mind. It's like, hey, man, life comes at you fast. I mean, it was it was a <laughs> weird, does. everything around Trump is weird, though. I mean, yes, it's unprecedented, but I mean, he's unprecedented. I mean, it, God, but you know, you made a good hair. point. Yeah. Huh? But you made a good point in your column, which is the reaction was so fast 
you may end up regretting it because what when you react that fast in defense of him or in condemnation of him, you don't really know what you're talking about. I right. mean, we have known just by the nature of news, you just have to wait. I mean, you don't know what you're defending or condemning yet. We there's just, you know, I think to even get a search warrant was probably a ridiculously high bar. Mm-hmm. But maybe they just wanted their their notes back. Or maybe the New York, maybe it's coming out of the New York investigation and they're looking for something else. I mean, we don't know. And I think that was your point, which is take a breath. Don't right. don't, don't don't go either way at this point. Well, and I think I wanted to, you know, joke all joking aside and everything that we did to open this thing, there is a very serious side to this. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what I was concerned at is everybody just jumped all over this. And you had some rhetoric coming from people, uh, either highly platformed people or folks who hold public office that would get people angry. And we saw some evidence of that today Um, in Cincinnati, somebody rolled up to the FBI office there and tried, he was, he had guns and he had body armor in and he was trying to force his way in and he had a exchange gunfire with law enforcement. So I've lived in Oklahoma long enough. I mean, we saw just to go back a little bit, we saw what happened when dangerous rhetoric gets wound up concerning January 6th. Mm. That got bad. But I've been in Oklahoma long enough to remember April 19th, 1995. Mm-hmm. Now, you can pick apart some of the stuff that federal law enforcement did at Ruby Ridge and uh, at Waco and stuff. But the rhetoric, um, and picking apart it rightly because there were mistakes made and people lost their lives. But the rhetoric got so hot that it inspired people to do a terrible, terrible thing where 168 people died, some of them children. We should be practiced at this enough to know that when you say these kinds of things, you might be the last little thing that triggers someone to go and do something terrible. And that's what I want all of these people with like, hundreds of thousands of followers on Twitter or TikTok or Parler or Truth Social or whatever to calm the freak down. Um, You know, all of our elected officials jumping all over this, they need to calm down. See what's behind it a little bit before we just start making this a giant fury point to sell merch and get campaign donations. Because we know where this road ends, and it doesn't end well. It ends in a bloody mess, literally a bloody murderous mess. That is a good point, and I hadn't considered that, that, you know, when you start talking about, you know, remember the term jackbooted thugs, all these kinds of things, that it ends up speaking to a group of people who will then attack our government, who will then attack our law enforcement. And we don't know a thing about what this is about. I mean, there's all kinds of speculation, but, um, and, and, you know, they want, they want to demand answers and they even threaten, you know, the Kevin McCarthy threatened the attorney general, like save your documents. And I 
I laugh. I go, well, of course he's going to save his documents. He's the attorney general. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's a lot of this rhetoric. And you're right that there is a very dangerous side of this that um, that we've seen with January 6th. And do we really want to have more? Dem- and it can- inspires domestic terrorism. Yeah. That's not the that's not the way that we need to go. And that's a. I just wish people would take that kind of thing into consideration, especially with our delegation here in Oklahoma, they should know better. (laughs) A little bit of silence there. Yeah, it could be as minor as um, they just want the records back. I mean, you use the Hillary Clinton example that, you know, this, and the way people wanted to lock her up for things, um, keep in mind, this is similar. You know, she had a pre- personal server. Was he keeping documents of national security at his house? You know, mm-hmm. think of how equitable you're wanting to be. But it could be they just want their mm-hmm. their information back, or maybe it's more. We don't really know. Yep. Um, but I ended up writing about the rabbit hole I went down was about the IRS. Mm-hmm. So have you been hearing about the IRS uh, freaking? Oh, never. Never. No. Who? Who? Has anybody been talking about the IRS? No, seriously. But, but me. First, I mean, here's the thing. When someone comes out and says 87,000 agents are going to come after everyone's taxes, I mean, what's your first reaction? Do you think, oh, that's true. That's got to be accurate. No, no, it's not. So I go down this rabbit hole to find out what's behind it. And there's mm-hmm. a lot of information on it comes down to the staffing levels of the IRS. And I had been hearing sort of peripherally, peripherally that the IRS has been understaffed. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize to what degree it was understaffed. And so there's all of this data that comes, I mean, they lost something like 50,000 employees in like the last five years. They've had, they've been gutted in their budgets and resources. They have fewer auditors now than they did in 1953. And our population has doubled since then. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot. It's not like, you know, this is a, a well-staffed agency that, you know, is just going to add more. So I kind of went down that road. And and what it comes down to is it's not, they're not 87,000 auditors. They're talking staff. They have a lot of customer service and IT. They're working on the oldest IT system in federal government. So the customer service from what one of the treasury reports found for this past tax season, for every 16,000 calls made to the IRS, they had one staffer. So, so that 87,000, that's not, that came out of a report that said with this kind of investment, we could, it could lead to 87,000 positions, but it would be over 10 years. It would be a lot of customer service and IT, some auditors, and so it was, it's been misrepresented, shockingly. Just a little um, bit. Yeah, you the hear these fact, people, you hear these people talk, they think it's like 87,000 people wearing body armor and carrying guns ready to come for your taxes. Mm-hmm. Hey, step back a little bit. Let's, right. let's get the well, real, reality of this. And I didn't realize that most of what they're talking about with auditors, it's like, it's not like someone showing up at your house like they do on TV. They show up at your house and they look through all your records. Now, a lot of it is through email and through communication, like, hey, can you send me this document or we'll come up with a, 
you know, a payment plan or whatever. So it's not even, mm. you know, it's not even as what it's portrayed. But what's yeah. interesting is that there was, um, you'll hear a lot of people say it, they're going after poor Americans or middle class. The directive in the treasury documents, the IRS documents, and through President Joe Biden, that the directive is to concentrate the priorities on those filings that are 400,000 or more. So if you make 400,000 or more, um, that's sort of what they're looking at because those tend to be hot, uh, complex audits and things like that. So basically rich people don't cheat is what it comes down to. Just, so that's what I wrote about, but you know, so, but you, you took on the lead of the writing, although it represents the board on another house bill, 1775. Um, what, 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 explain a little bit about what you're writing about there. Okay, so this goes back to the State Board of Education's vote to, I don't know if sanction is the right word, but it was kind of like they docked their Tulsa Public Schools and Mustang Public Schools uh, accreditation. <clears throat> and we know from a fact from the evidence that we've seen that <laughs> the evidence that we've seen that the State Education Board didn't see that the case against TPS was uh, not even paper thin. So what that has told us is that when it comes to the enforcement of House Bill 1775, it's two things. One, it is extremely subjective. So any slight, the tiniest little complaint can be used against you to uh, get you in front of this, the state ed board and uh, maybe dock you this or that. And I mean, you know, TPS is just a couple levels removed from not being accredited, which is stunning considering the flimsiness of the allegation made against them. But the other thing that we've seen, and this is almost by the admission of board members, uh, particularly uh, Mrs. Hernandez, is that it's arbitrary. If Mustang, if, if somebody had not made a point to say, well, if we're going to do this to TPS, then we got to do this to Mustang, nothing would have happened to Mustang Public Schools, which is just bizarre to me that they're going to punish them at the same level they're going to punish TPS, and they're punishing TPS at a level that is not supported by the evidence. So what we're getting at with this is, one, state ed board they need to relook at this and they need to make it right. And the second thing is the state legislature who in 2021 passed House Bill 1775 needs to take a hard look at this law. It is vaguely written, it is poorly written, and it is doing exactly what I thought it would when it passed. It is vague to the point that it is going to scare people from teaching people accurate, unvarnished history of our state, of our country, and of the world. Oh, it's already so, happening. It's, yeah. it's there. I think the Oklahoman, and the Magic City book sort of circulated this. The Oklahoman wrote a story about a teacher um, who had a bunch of books of the Killers of the Flower Moon. A great, a great book inspired a movie coming out in January, but she won't teach it because she's too scared. Because it's a it is a book about race, about how white, wealthy Oklahomans took advantage of the Osage tribe to the point of murdering them for money. And she yeah. won't teach that history out of fear of this bill. 
And that's one example of many. And it's just this chilling effect. And Ms. Hernandez says, I'm using TPS as an example. Why? Because it's because you don't like the administrators. I mean, that just seems take your opinion out of TPS. Look at the process and look at this law. It is not helping education. It is making kids come out of our schools unprepared for a global economy. Yeah. And I think, too, when you uh, what you allude to this is just the the art like I've said this before, just the arbitrary nature of it. But, you know, what's in bounds anymore now? I mean, if we can't teach, if someone is scared to teach about that, are we going to be scared to teach about the race massacre? Are we going to be scared to teach about the Japanese internment camps in World War II? Can we actually learn from our history what not to do in the future? Is that even on the table anymore? Because if you can't learn the history, you can't learn from the history. And I think that's a very dangerous place to be in terms of preparing the next generation of the country's leaders. If they don't know what's going on and we just relegate, you know, relegate those ugly parts of history to some netherland never to be resurfaced again, who's to say this does not happen again? And I don't know, it's they they've got to. They've got to take another look at this law. It's obviously it's it's damaging education, and it's it's entered the realm of strictly politics instead of policy, and that may be probably the most shameful thing about it is that is what's being used for. It's an election year, and we're slamming a district because it's good politics. I don't right. Know. I mean that's well, and 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 that's what with, with this in the process. There's no appeal first of all, and also the board members never saw the evidence. Can you imagine yeah. a jury deciding guilt, but you never get to see the evidence? And so to Lindsay Crable, a reporter, uh, Lindsay Crable Burton's credit, she got a hold of the, the video or the recording, because that's what it was supposed to be based on. The, the Board of Education's attorney or this, yeah, the Department of Education's attorney said that the audio went off script and, and we found that it didn't. They read the materials verbatim and he had deemed the materials fine. And this is so in the weeds and so subjective that one teacher who got her feelings hurt because you're not supposed to, I guess she felt bad about herself because someone said we all have implicit biases, which we all do. Yep. So she felt bad about that, made a complaint and they used that. That was enough of the door to play politics. And that's wrong. And that's harming. So, um, so that was the, the editorial board wanted to make a point that, first of all, the evidence wasn't what it was characterized to be, which again shows that arbitrariness you were talking about. So um, the other um, editorial board issue being taken up uh, by the board was the, the surplus. So Governor Kevin Stitt, you know, kind of talked about or sent out communications on that we've reached the highest amount of savings in our state's history at 2.8 billion. And he said he wants to use that for tax cuts. Well, that our board sort of, we've heard and seen this before. In Oklahoma, to cut taxes, it just takes a simple majority of a legislature to cut a tax. To get a tax back takes what, 60% or three fourths? Super majority. Super majority. 
So basically, they we tied the hands of, of legislatures in the future because no one will ever meet a supermajority to put a tax in place. So once a tax goes away, it never comes back. So now that we've got these savings accounts built up, and that's through we the legislature did not spend about over $900 million in the last session. Previously, it was about nine three hundred and forty-five. They just left it on the table. So those are in savings. We have the Constitutional Rainy Day Fund over a billion, and the rates, the stabilization fund. So all those together. Well, we've always sort of argued editorially that we should be spending the money that we have because we went a decade cutting services and some of those agencies have never been restored. Oh, the, all the cuts to education have never completely been restored. You could go down the line, mental health, prisons, DHS with social services, all of those agencies are still sort of getting closer to where they were, but not quite there. So we've always argued that we should be spending the money, but having a savings account, I get it for rainy days, for, for lean times, that's great. But we, to, to, to use that surplus on tax cuts and not restoring those agencies, our, our board was just shaking the head. Like it sounds great in an election year. No one likes paying taxes. But we were talking among ourselves and all of the state plans in the past have, have cut our personal taxes. I want to say maybe the highest amount I've saved is like $200 a year. I mean, it's never, it's not like I save 10 grand a year or five grand a year. No, it's always been a small amount that I would just assume they keep it and pay teachers more or whatever. So we came up with sort of a list of things that would be better used with that surplus money. And not all of it will be spent because we still need to have a savings account. But right off the top is state question 780 and 781. Yeah. That was passed in 20... 2016? Is that right? 2018? I think it was 2018. 2018? I think. But but the law was we were going to reduce the prison populations by <clears throat> reclassifying some drug and property crimes, but that savings was to go directly to the county governments to bolster mental health programs. Well, that's never been done. Not one penny has been spent or sent to the county governments for those programs. That's what the law says. And there's been a negotiated amount between DOC, OMES, and the prison reform advocates. In November, when I looked into this, the state owed the counties $500 million at that point. I don't, I, they're just, lawmakers are willfully violating the law. So mm. of that surplus, send that 500 million to counties, start putting it in the budget, and. Live by the law that the voters told you to do. So off the top, I would say the 500 there. Mm -hmm. um, education. I mean, I looked into what it would cost to bring us up to the per pupil average in the, the region, just the seven states. We would have to put in $900 million just to get up to the regional average. Okay, so $9 million makes people's head spin. Remember, there were 22 senators that voted to send $161 million to private schools in a voucher. It failed, but when it came time to appropriating funds for public ed, they only gave them a 0.5% increase, which was about $17 million, but that's largely line item to things like DNA kits and whatever. So 
okay, so if you're willing to spend 161 million to private schools, send 161 million to the public schools. That'd be a nice gesture at least. So what are the, some of the ideas you had? You had some ideas on better, better money spent in, in the state than a tax cut. Sure. Um, <clears throat> well, one thing we can do right off the bat on the education front, start uh, putting money back in the higher ed. Uh, we all know how expensive tuition and fees are for students, how outrageously huge student loans can get. Uh, let's uh, let's start fighting that. Let's invest back into higher ed a little bit and make those uh, the, that type of an education a little bit more accessible and affordable. <clears throat> We've got law enforcement needs. Um, you know, in the Department of Corrections, they've helped some. They are paying more, but they need to do more. It's a tough job, and people are finding ways to do easier work for more pay. Prisons have been understaffed for decades, and it's a major public safety question, not just for the inmates, but the uh, the correctional officers themselves. Um, we could stand to put some money into health. We just got through a, well, we're not, we didn't just get through it. We're still in a pandemic, but <clears throat> we've stressed our health care as far as we could. So we need to invest in that some more too, to, to get things, shore things up, get things up to speed. It would be nice to see us actually figure out how to pay for and make our pandemic center functional, seeing that that's just still sitting out there like a, I don't know what you want to call it, probably something not good. You know, there are things that Food we- Food is one word that's coming up in my mind with the yeah. pandemic center, so- yeah, so we've got things that we can do. And I mean, nobody wants to pay a bunch of taxes. Mm -hmm. We talk about being a top 10 state and we are top 10 in the lowest tax burdens in the country. Mm -hmm. So I think we're good there. It's not like, I'm not like I'm a fan of paying a lot of taxes, but at the same time, government costs money, roads cost money, you know, public safety costs money, health costs money, schools cost money. You don't do, you don't get this stuff for free. It's got to come from somewhere. So if we want to be a state that attracts these big employers and all of this investment that other states are getting that we're not, we need to invest in ourselves. We don't, that doesn't mean we got to spend all $2.8 billion just and wipe out that savings. That's not a great idea either. But we have been woefully inadequate in investing in ourselves and putting the best foot forward for the state of Oklahoma for our own people to see as well as other folks that we're trying to get here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's a, a big, big argument for investing in these agencies and um, the schools and, you know, even quality of life things. One of our board members uh, had a story about driving on the Talamina Drive and just mm -hmm. how rickety he thought the parks looked. He said they just look low class. He goes, they you would expect to have some sort of, um, you know, amenities and and things that he he said, you know, and we have struggled with with our with our parks department, obviously, um, but to try to really figure out ways to, I mean, we because I've gone to other states and they do an amazing job with their parks and lakes, and we have all of these natural resources in Oklahoma that. He felt, you know, how much money would it really take to upgrade those, to really, you know, 
you know, we have a $2.8 billion, billion dollars. Could you take a few million of that and really put it towards some park amenities and really build those up and yeah. some of that in the tourism? That's probably not a take a huge chunk of that, you know, like education kind of needs a huge chunk at this point to get up there. But um, so there are those kind of ideas of things that the state needs that are good use of tax money because we do pay taxes that we are in the lowest tax burden. Um, that's just the way, you know, we have this collective agreement that we like these things, but somehow mm -hmm. people think we don't have to pay for them. So, but it does make us uh, economically competitive when we can say, hey, we actually are. I mean, we can't even say we're in the middle of education right now. <laughs> we don't invest even, we're at 46 in the nation in per pupil expenditure. I mean, we're not even in the middle there. Yeah. Our, and we can't improve outcomes until we start investing in that. So we have a huge staffing shortage, a real staffing shortage there. Same could be said for prisons. But like I say, at a minimum, Let's fund state questions 780 and 781 and bolster our mental health programs because those are local programs. Counties know where best to put that. Mm -hmm. it's, I don't want to hear any spirit of the law means we can put it in the state department. No, that's not what the law says. I don't want the spirit of the law. The law says to give it to that. So, okay. so anyway, just start thinking about other ways we could better spend our money. Um, but I did a fun column this week and it was, it's about six months too late. So I turned 50 mm -hmm. in January, <clears throat> but I have, and you know, 50 is, it's, these, these are weird years of demarcation, right? Like we use these sort of years of five to like take stock of our lives, right? Like you turn 40, 45, 50. And I always kind of thought, well, what if I really took stock of my life at like 53, can I get three years okay. to get together? Can I, what's, what's so great about 50? But I did start this list of like stuff I should do. Not like huge, like I'm going to go to Scotland or I'm going to backpack across. I'm not going to backpack anywhere. Let's face it. I'm not going <laughs> to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to go up a mountain. I'm not going to go mountain biking in the Grand Canyon, but I'm talking about just things you can do in our city. Like I never attended a Jewish service. I've been to pretty much every Christian denomination. I've been to a mosque and saw part of a service. So I talked to a friend of mine and to take me to a Jewish service for the first time just to see. So like these experiences of, um, I wanted to take a dance class, any dance class didn't matter. A friend of mine has me in a belly dancing class. It is not pretty, not going to lie. <laughs> but, but a bunch of other 50 year olds in there with me. And we have, and I even bought like the little skirt with the little coin dangles, you know, and I'm going to make my daughter watch a recital with me someday. But I just, I don't know, it's kind of fun. I've just, I've created this whole list of things just to do in the city uh, that you should do in my 50th year. So that's my, maybe, uh, maybe I will ride a mountain bike at Turkey Mountain. Maybe I should do that. See if I like it. Because I have found I'm liking some things. So maybe I'll like it. You maybe. Might. Not you in a hundred nine degree weather no don't do that don't do that i did that that was bad that was that was a bad life choice don't was do that. but you know live and learn but okay but like health you know these these years you think i'm gonna get healthy i don't want to run a marathon i have no i do not understand why people run marathons i mean if i'm 32 miles out from something i will just catch a ride i will call someone 
But, you know, like the 5Ks, that's a reasonable amount of like health. You should be able to like jog that. So things like that, like, you know, the Tulsa run, maybe I'll do the 5K for the Tulsa run, something like that. So, you know, reasonable health, Bob. Yeah, go for it, man. Go for it, man. Anyway. Milestones, I like it. (laughs) But I want to, it's kind of funny. I've been trying to get people to tell me like what things they want to do. Like what are the experiences just in our community that you haven't done that you want to do. So start thinking about that. Goals. Can you think of wow. something? Do you have anything? Oh gosh. Um, <clears throat> wow. In this city or just in general? Just in general. I had a friend of mine suggest I try stand up and I'm like, oh no, I have a line. I am not doing stand up. I don't know. I think you'd be good at Five that. minutes of Jenny just, no, are you kidding me? That's the no. hardest job on earth. Oh, it's hard, but I think you'd be good at no, it. No, no. To sit and try to make people like a group of people and your job is to make them laugh. No, I'm out. That's too hard. No. You, well, yeah. Yeah. It's always any any kind of public performance is difficult. Yeah. Like, no, know, I'm out. I don't That's know how preachers do it every week. How do they do that every week? Sometimes like three times on Sundays and once on Wednesdays. I, I've never understood that. I, I get exhausted. I know because um, your job is to inspire people like something no. just standing up there and speaking for 30 or 40 minutes and hoping to God that people just don't nod off or tune out. That'd be so hard. 30 or 40 minutes. You need to be a cat. You tell take you a Catholic service. If that priest is going over 10 minutes on their sermon, people are like, um, excuse me, you get an hour for this whole thing. Oh, you need to go <laughs> so, service, man. Those guys will go 90 oh, I know. Oh, I like when my, oh, my dad was a Southern Baptist. I grew up to going half there. And it's like, you have to really power up for those. Cause you got like the pre-service then you got the Sunday school. Then you got the actual service. Yeah. It's, it's a lot. That kept and me in I'm the Catholic thinking, church. I'm like, man, there's an hour. And I know there's spirituality involved, but you know, growing yeah. up your kid time. Milestone goal. Yes. I would have to say would be, uh, Still holding out hopes for Mount Rainier. I would love to climb that mountain. That'd be really cool. Um, there are places I'd like to go and see. I'd like to go to like uh, British Islands and explore some of that area a little bit, maybe even further afield. So, but you know, for now, I'm just trying to lose a couple pounds. <laughs> right now, you're just going up Turkey Mountain. All right. Yeah. So, everybody, thank you for hanging with us this week. And you know how to reach us tilsaworld.com give us a send us some email send find us on social media and we will answer questions or just you know talk about something that you suggest so thank you have a good week see ya